There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and waters high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease, but tarry scant with marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answers I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. I have a confession. I am a database administrator by trade. My education is in all things computers. I have no idea if this is a good or a bad poem. That's not my intention this morning. Um, But I am curious, has anybody ever heard that poem? Right on. Have you ever done anything about it? Okay. (laughs) This poem was written by a man named Forrest Finn. Is anyone familiar with that name? Okay. So Forrest Finn is kind of an an eccentric. Um, He was an art and antiquities dealer. And back in the 80s, he's still with us, I believe, last I checked. Uh, Back in the 80s, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had this wild idea that he would gather up all the treasures that he had accumulated in life, put them in a, a literal treasure chest, and drive off into the middle of nowhere and just die next to his treasure and leave clues for his family to come find the treasure. This is weird. I can't imagine. I I would, I can't imagine what his kids would be thinking as they set off on this quest. And then they find this treasure chest and dear old dad laying next to a bunch of paintings and stuff. It's just odd. But he didn't actually go through with his plan. Actually, he survived cancer. Um, and he, he wrote this poem and published it in, a, in his own memoir, his own biography, uh, and printed off a thousand copies of that book and put it in a local store uh, somewhere out in Colorado, I believe. And he's become kind of this viral sensation. Um, the promise of treasure can be a very powerful force. And in his little treasure hunt, uh, this, this poem that we just read provides clues to the final location. He actually went out and buried a treasure chest, and some have estimated it's worth millions of dollars. And so he's kicked off this little scavenger hunt, uh, and people... All over, the, all over the world come for a little bit of fun. It's a great way to get out in nature, to enjoy God's creation and fellowship with one another. There's even a festival every year called the Finbaree, where people just load up, they go out to the Rockies, camp for a few days, enjoy food, fellowship, and they go looking for this treasure. But as you can imagine, there's also some negative impacts Uh, associated with his little hunt. I I mean, anger, jealousy, blackmail, death threats on he and his loved ones. Even the tragic loss of life as people have gone out and just had accidents. For good and bad, the allure of treasure can drastically alter our reality. And this morning, 
that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about reality, ultimate reality, in fact. So if you have your Bibles, we are in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. So in this part of Matthew, Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry. Uh, He's given the Sermon on the Mount recorded in uh, chapters 5 through 7. He's been traveling around to cities and villages, healing sick, taking care of the poor. And in chapter 12, we see this confrontation between him and the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he, He heals people. He performs miracles, and then he's confronted by the religious leader who accuse him. So his disciples are eating grain, and they accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. A man with a withered hand comes in for healing, and Jesus heals him, and they accuse him. Again, they conspire against Jesus. A demon-possessed man comes to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demon. And the religious leaders of the day attribute the power of Jesus to the kingdom of a demon. And then they demand a sign of Jesus. All of this, all of this they're doing in chapter 12 to call into question Jesus, to accuse him of wrongdoing. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 12, there's just a lot of confusion in the crowd and with who Jesus is and, and what he's here to do. So the book of Matthew, he emphasizes the kingdom of God. More so than any other gospel in the Bible. There are more references here in the book of Matthew than any other gospel account. Um, he often uses the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven just synonymously. And this is a central theme to the gospel account found in the book of Matthew. So we see Jesus begins chapter 13 teaching us about the kingdom. And and when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he is not speaking about a kingdom that is far off or distant or separated in some way from our current reality. No, all throughout the book of Matthew, he emphasizes a kingdom that is near, a kingdom that is at hand. And he speaks about the kingdom as reality. So in chapter 13, he he gives us several parables about the kingdom of heaven. And parables, it's important to know, they're not just entertaining stories or, or helpful platitudes about living a good life. No, they're about specific things. And here in chapter 13, Jesus shares in great detail about the eternal kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom? That would take a very long time to kind of unpack. We don't have that kind of time this morning, but to kind of shorten it and keep it as as sweet as possible, the kingdom of heaven is anything under the sovereign rule and reign and authority of King Jesus, whom God has exalted above all things. In fact, this is how Matthew presents Jesus all throughout his gospel account. And in chapters 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is the son of David, Israel's greatest king. That's how he's announced. 
And the wise men who come in chapter 2 come seeking the king of the Jews. So Matthew makes clear who Jesus is. He is the kingdom of God's eternal kingdom. And Jesus is one who speaks with authority and intimate knowledge about the kingdom. So we're going to spend our time today in chapter 13. Um, Another great crowd has gathered around Jesus, so much so that he has to get in a boat and kind of push off from the shore. He's standing next to a lake, and he teaches them from that boat about the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of the most concentrated teachings in all of Scripture about the kingdom of heaven. And he speaks with great precision in these parables to clarify the nature of the kingdom, the character of the kingdom, and the activity. Of his kingdom. And there is so much to just learn and discuss. But for our time today, we're going to focus on a couple of verses, verses 44 through 46. Let's look at our text this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man has found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. And buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, my prayer this morning is that we grow in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And we become more in awe of King Jesus his work for us, and his work in us. And I pray that we would learn to live lives in humble obedience to the king of the kingdom, to God's word. And I would pray, as we're all kind of on this journey of seeking treasure in our lives, of seeking good things, that we would see that Jesus is worth giving our whole lives to. And let's let's consider our text this morning, and and look at four realities of the kingdom of heaven to help us on our search for this great treasure. So reality number one that we see in our passage this morning is that the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate reality. And this is critical for us to understand. It helps us know how we're to Live, why we exist, who we are. This answers all the big questions for us. The kingdom of heaven is not just an idea. It's, it's not something that we can perceive merely. Just, it's not a philosophical playground or, or, or thought exercise, some abstract analogy that we have to sit and try to figure out. The kingdom of heaven is where we live each and every day of our lives. All of creation exists, it operates, and is sustained under the sovereign rule of God by the power of His Word, through His Spirit, and the might of His hand. John 1, verses 3 through 4 tells us that all things were made through Him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And life was the light of men. And Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And this is important for us. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. So this is the kingdom of God that we're talking about. Everything under the sovereign rule of a good and gracious king. Nothing exists outside of his providence. Nothing exists outside of his knowledge or authority. The kingdom of heaven is more real than what we may perceive or understand at times or even experience. Here and all throughout the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is proclaiming this truth over and over and over again. His kingdom is real. And, and this may seem, if you've been a follower of Christ, like a gimme, like a foundational truth. And it is. We see this in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. We get that. We understand that. But we also, we live in real time. We live, we go through the motions of our days. We go through our routines. We fill our schedules. We become numb sometimes to this reality. We become more intent and distracted on the activity of building our own kingdoms. That we lose sight, that we exist for God's glory in His kingdom. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is telling us here is that no one is immune from exchanging the glory of God for the lesser things. And remember, even as I kind of gave some context to our our verses this morning, in chapter 12, even the religious leaders of the day mistook the work of Jesus and who Jesus was. They even attributed his power to that of a demon. So no one, no one is immune from what Jesus is teaching us here. We don't naturally recognize or understand the kingdom of heaven under God's eternal rule, nor our participation in it. And we need to be reminded daily that we live in God's kingdom under a sovereign, good, and gracious King Jesus And it's important to remember, as Jesus is teaching us here, that anything we know about God's kingdom is because of God's revelation to us. Because He has revealed it to us through His Word. And He blesses us with ears to hear. He talks about that earlier in chapter 13. And and we do need to be, we need to hear this daily. Why is it foundational for us? Why does the kingdom as our ultimate reality matter for us? 
Because the reality of God's kingdom and our participation in it, it grounds our existence. It grounds our obedience to God. It grounds our labor, how we do our work. It grounds our rest, how we enjoy the things that God has blessed us. It grounds our everyday lives with perspective. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands, we see that that's when sin entered the picture and separated us from God and has blinded us to the reality of God's kingdom. Because of our sin, Genesis 3, 5 tells us that we live our lives trying to be like God. We want to spend our lives establishing our kingdoms. We want control over our lives. We want to determine what is right and wrong for us. We think we know what is good and best for us. But Genesis 3 t- tells us that we have been deceived by this great lie. No, the eternal kingdom of God and this truth that we live in this reality grounds our perspective by reminding us that God is sovereign over all. From eternity past through to today, and for all eternity in the future. This kingdom perspective gives us encouragement as we look to the past and see God's faithfulness. We see the testimonies of the great cloud of witnesses that God has surrounded us with. People who were faithful to herald the good news of Jesus, God uses them to encourage our lives. We see that he is active in his kingdom. And what a blessing that is to our lives. He loves us. He is intimately involved with the day-to-day of our lives. It not only encourages us, this perspective, but it gives us strength for the day. God reminds us, as he tells us about his reality, the kingdom of heaven, that he is with us. It's the whole point of what Jesus is saying here. He is with us, telling us about the kingdom. He will never leave. He will never forsake us. And that King Jesus is enthroned for all eternity as the Lord over all his kingdom. And this empowers us each and every day to deny ourselves, to deny our kingdom building, to pick up a cross and follow Jesus, knowing that his cross is the ultimate victory over sin and death. So it gives us strength, this, this reality that we live in, this perspective of God's kingdom. And it gives us hope. So not only does it encourage us as we look to the past and give us strength for today as we look to him and our weaknesses, but it gives us hope for the future regardless of our circumstances, whether good, bad, hard, painful times, suffering, persecution, in our doubts and in our fears, in all of life, it reminds us of the hope that we have a good God, that He wants a relationship with us, 
that he longs for us to enjoy fellowship with him and his kingdom. Yes, this, the kingdom of heaven is our ultimate reality and it grounds our perspective to live each and every day of our lives with our minds set on things above, seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness. The second reality that we see in our, our text today is that treasure exists in the kingdom of heaven. Well, this just got interesting. I like this. This sounds good to me. Jesus here is setting the hook for us. He tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and a great pearl. We all like the idea of treasure. I've noticed now they have Powerball at the little where you get your gas. You have the option of buying a Powerball ticket while you're buying your gas. And I thought, that's just a great picture of it. Like buying gas is such a routine daily thing. But even here, they are tempting us with the idea of treasure. And I have been tempted. Then I usually look at my wife and, "Mm -mm, nope. (sighs) Okay. But anyway, (laughs) my point is that we're all looking for something better, right? The grass is always greener. We've, we've convinced ourselves each and every day that if this happens, if we have new toys, bigger salaries, more time, more activities, more entertainment, more control, if we had less suffering or less crying, fewer struggles, more pleasure, more space, less conflict. If we had all of these things, or some of them, then life would be good. Then we could do what we really were meant to do. And that's a great word, good. Um, I remember I attended a, a worship conference many years ago, and one of the speakers was a man named... Carol Best. He's a musician, a teacher. He was a follower of Christ and, and I would argue a philosopher. I don't know if he would see himself as that, but he was. And he talked about in that conference just the evolution of, of words and how we use them. And, and the word he used as his example was good. He argued that its impact had been kind of lessened because of all the things that we associate as good. So, As an example, my kids love this one. That was a good popsicle. They love popsicles. They are good. Or we have family movie nights sometime. That was a good movie. It's a good story. Gripping. Now, usually the movies we're watching because our kids are pretty young are animated things. And there are occasions where the story is gripping and that that it's a good movie. But most of the time, it's just lots of colors and flashing and loud music. But good movies are good, right? Vacations, those are good. You get to check out from the world, enjoy some time off, and they are good. They are good. Or even our memories, those are good, right? The precious ones, the ones we cling to. Good marriage, that's good. 
God has given us this beautiful gift in marriage. And we envy good marriages. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that these things aren't good. In fact, I'm affirming them. They are good. But they're not all good in the same way. We wouldn't compare popsicles to marriage. Maybe, maybe you would, but I think you're kind of off there. But um, they aren't good to the same extent. Popsicles melt. Movies, they end. Or they re-release them as live action to grab more of our cash. Just totally ruin the original. Our vacations are interrupted by very long periods of real life. And sadly, even our memories fail us. Even the most precious ones. And yes, even good things, the best things that we hold closest and dearest in our hearts can be what the Bible calls idols. We were made to worship. We were made to respond to treasure, to good things. And when we worship idols or look to them to give our lives meaning, they fail us 100% of the time and we're left dissatisfied, confused, bitter, afraid. We are constantly on the lookout to avoid that, to look for something better, something that will satisfy our longing once and for all. And Jesus is telling us here, the kingdom of heaven is good. It's the treasure Good in a deeply satisfying, life-giving, life-sustaining, soul-comforting, fulfilling, meaningful, and significant way, Jesus is telling us. I don't want to leave you wanting. Look to me. The reality of treasure in the kingdom, it gives our lives meaning. God is good. And everything we were created for, everything that sin has separated us from and caused us to long for, those, those big questions of life, the things that we're looking for, life, fulfillment, purpose, love, they can only be found, redeemed, and experienced in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. The treasure that we're all seeking will only be found in the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you, where do you look for meaning in your life? Where does the light of your life originate? Does it come from worldly wisdom, what you can understand about what you observe? Does it come from your status or prestige before others? How about Material wealth, the things that you can possess and gather up for security. Do those give your life meaning? Physical indulgences, experiences, good times. What about relationships? Do you look to others to fulfill the deepest longing and needs of your life? When we talk about meaning, when we, when we ask the big questions of life, these things, they are good. But the inability of them to provide our lives with meaning quickly becomes evident. 
And this doesn't mean that they hold no value for us. But they cannot, will not, and never were meant to satisfy us, to give our lives meaning. They were never meant to be our treasure. We were created to know God and find our fullest enjoyment and fellowship with Him and His kingdom. Reality number three that we see in our text this morning. Acquiring the treasure in the kingdom of heaven costs everything. Uh, This may be the part some of us might like to skip over. Treasure's great. Cost uh, (laughs) doesn't necessarily fit into my budget. The cost not only reveals to us what the kingdom of heaven is worth, but it also defines for us the value of everything else we hold dear in this life. What do we hold on to and look to for greater meaning and fulfillment than what we are being offered in our text? Notice there is no ambiguity about the cost of the kingdom of heaven. It says all that we have. Our pastor at at my home church loves to say, you know what the all means there? It means all, everything. Jesus is being very clear and he is never shy about what will be required for those who follow and trust Him. Here, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven costs everything, but the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. Have you ever considered the cost of following Jesus, of pursuing Him as your treasure? Have you ever thought about what you would have to give up in order to acquire the treasure? Or do you just treat God as another commodity in your life? Something to add to your life to make it just a little better? Or something to sell off when something more attractive comes along, calls out to us? This reality, the reality of the cost becomes most apparent to us when those idols, those things we're seeking after are exposed in our heart for what they are. And when we're confronted by our sin, we see this in Matthew chapter 19, a young man comes to Jesus. We learn that he is a good man. He obeyed the law of God. He is well thought of. He had many possessions. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And how does Jesus respond? He says to the young man, if you would be perfect, go and sell all you have and come follow me. This is the offer in the kingdom of heaven. This is what we are all faced with. 
not, not just selling your stuff, but what does your heart cling to as having more value than fellowship with God and his kingdom? Jesus challenges that young man's heart and confronts him with the reality of the cost. Following Jesus will never cost you nothing. Accounting in the kingdom of heaven requires every single area of your life. Luke 9 records this for us in the words of Jesus when he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and loses and forfeits himself. So when you look at your life, and you've added up all the sum of its parts, you compile all the accolades that the world has showered upon you, when you count up all the good deeds that you've done, even in Jesus' name, when the account of your life is brought before the king of the kingdom, let me ask you, What does it say about the worth of Jesus? What would your life look like if you gave everything for the kingdom of heaven? How would would that impact how you spend your time? How would that impact how you relate to others? What you speak to them about? How would it impact your day-to-day life? How you raise your kids? How you treat your coworkers or friends or neighbors? What would it what would it mean for your service for others in the church in your neighborhoods? The reality of the cost reveals what we truly believe about the value of the treasure that Jesus is talking about. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. And all of us, we're all giving our lives to something. We only have a certain amount of time. We have certain gifts. We have certain treasures that God has blessed us with. And we are using them for something. And those treasures that we pursue, they identify what we worship what we believe. Either our worship is right and it is costly untoward the king in his kingdom, or ultimately we squander our lives and perish in false worship to lesser things. And Jesus is telling us here, there's only one thing worth your worship. I know this is a heavy message, And if you, um, like me, are feeling a heavy weight, especially in light of of what we've been talking about, the cost of acquiring the treasure in the kingdom of heaven, I'd say that's appropriate. We're meant to feel that weight. And I know there are many here who probably know the cost all too well.
But let me say, there is good news. News that promises to, to deliver good treasure in your life. News that makes living abundant life in the kingdom with God possible. Please do not, do not leave this place without considering our final reality. Reality number four, Jesus is our greatest treasure. But friends, hear this. You are his treasure in the kingdom. Our good and gracious Savior is teaching us about the realities of the kingdom of heaven, but he's also proclaiming his mission as the king seeking his treasure. He has counted the cost and he has given everything to find those who would enjoy a life with him and his kingdom. He came to pursue and purchase his treasure. And there's no cost that he is not willing to pay. In fact, the Bible tells us that the only way for us to pay the cost demanded of us because of our unrighteousness against a holy God that cost has been handled by Jesus. I am purchasing us with his life, with his death, with his resurrection, by giving up everything for his treasure. And that's what he's telling us about, friend. He is proclaiming his mission, empowering us to go and do likewise. King Jesus is the fulfillment and expression of God's love for you. He is our treasure, friends, and know that he loves you. He has given all to purchase you. And our worth, our value, our meaning is defined by the cost that he paid. Our greatest treasure is being treasured by Jesus. True, abundant, satisfying, real life can be had simply by believing that Jesus is the sovereign Lord and King over his kingdom and your life. By believing in your heart that the cost for your sin, the payment due God, has been fully satisfied by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the ultimate reality. This is the testimony of God's word. Do you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his son? That whoever should believe shall not perish. And do you believe that for the joy set before him, Jesus humbled himself in obedience, was crushed on a cross, satisfying the full weight of God's wrath against our sin, paying the price that God's righteousness and holiness and justice demanded on our behalf. To those of you who follow 
King Jesus, I want to say to you that you are loved. You are treasured. Live in light of this. Go. Tell the world about it. There are many who are still lost and need to hear the good news of Jesus. That they are treasured by the God of all creation. I would encourage you to seek God's counsel in prayer and ask Him to reveal to you in your life where you are struggling to live as a treasured possession of Christ. Where are the doubts, the fears, the anxieties, the worries consuming your life? And ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to let go of anything and everything that is stealing and robbing your worship. And trust Jesus as the ultimate treasure for your life. For anyone who has never known a relationship with Jesus, I offer you to you this morning that Jesus loves you. You are treasured by the King. He has given him he has given his life for you. He values you that much. That he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. He came so that you would know life with him and his kingdom. He wants a relationship with you. And Romans 10, 9 tells us that if we confess this with our mouths, that if we believe this in our hearts, that Jesus is Lord, that he is our ultimate treasure, and we are greatly treasured by him, we believe that God raised him from the dead, giving us victory over sin, over death, over the ultimate fears and failures of our lives, you will be saved. And you can experience life knowing the treasure that you are pursuing and being treasured by a good and gracious King Jesus. I pray that you would know that hope in your life today. Let's bow our heads this morning for prayer.